Marion Strong. Many of you know Marion. He is Marion. How long have you been a member here? Since 1983, a member here. He just yes. He just celebrated a birthday. Is it okay if I share? 97, 97. So. Marion is going to open us tonight in prayer, and then he's got a few words to say as well. So Marion, come on up and open us in prayer if you would. Let us pray. Father God, we come here this evening, meeting in your house. We thank you for this opportunity we have to get together to discuss guiding principles that will guide this church in the future. May the Spirit of God be with us in harmony and with every member. Let us listen and if there are questions, why let us get the answers to those questions. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to take an opportunity to thank all of you and especially Omegas and especially uh, Judy. On my 97th birthday, you all responded. I think I got about 100 cards from <laughs> you, plus uh, I don't know how many postings were on my Facebook, but uh, it was a very humbling experience for me, let me tell you. Uh, I, I've been asked, uh, how do you achieve 97 years? And uh, my facetious answer has been, you just keep breathing. <laughs> but uh, it's more than that. God, I think, has had a great hand in that. Uh, my genes uh, perhaps are responsible for it. The first strong who came here, he came in 1630. And he died at 93, and 93 years in those days would, would have been amazing. And his son, who was the head of the, my strong family, uh, was 96 years old. So I must have inherited some of their genes. But God has been present in my life, in my, uh, as many of you know, I'm a military, was a military pilot. I don't pilot anymore, <laughs> but uh, I think uh, that God was present in my career, uh, especially I have one thing that I'll cite. Uh, when I graduated from flying school, I was assigned to fighter, a fighter squadron in McCord, at McCord Field, Washington, and uh, on my second flight, my plane, my left engine caught fire on takeoff. And uh, just as I got speed enough to get in the air, why the fire uh, was evident. And uh, smoke filled the cockpit. When I released the canopy, uh, flames came in the vet through the ventilator and circled me in the cockpit. Uh, I was able to shut off that engine and get high enough so that I was able to bail out. But I didn't know that I was high enough when, I, when this occurred. 
I trusted God that uh, I was high enough. And sure enough, when I bailed out, my chute opened and I swung up in one way and when I came back down, I was on the ground in a army camp next to Fort Lewis, Washington. And uh, I was the second person to bail out of a P-38 and live to tell about it. And uh, I was in the hospital room with the first person. He had turned his plane upside down and dropped out, but I never had enough altitude to do that. But I trusted God that I had the altitude and uh, my trust was placed safely. Thank you all again for recognizing my 93rd birthday. It's amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Marion. Uh, I just got on Facebook a few months ago, and he, he at 97, beat me to it. <laughs> right, so, Marion has been a deacon at our church. Uh, he has uh, taken care of our financial books uh, up until just probably 10 years ago or so. So a great servant, great man of God, so very blessed to have him as a member of our church. Uh, want to bring now a, are they out? Eric and Danny Naylor are out. Now, want to bring for a vote um, on the Director of College Ministries position. We brought Eric Naylor to you about three weeks ago and uh, put all of the information on the website uh, about this new college ministry that we're going to, to have, told you about him. He shared a little bit as well that, that day. And so we are bringing a recommendation from the personnel team, from the leadership team to make him a staff member, our director of college ministries. And we already had the discussion this morning about that, so we're gonna go straight to a vote. So I'm going to ask if you are in favor of Eric Naylor as the new director of college ministries. If you are a member, I should clarify, there's a lot of non-members here. If you're a member, you can vote. Uh, Non-members, please abstain. So if you're in favor of voting for Eric Naylor as director of college ministries, would you raise your hand? Thank you, and then all opposed, raise your hand as well. Okay, great. Would somebody go get the nailers, please? And Chuck is going to do a dance while we're waiting. So I feel very strongly that Eric has the tools and ability to, uh, the gifting, to be a, a great college minister. So I'm very excited. He's been a part of our GC for the past two years. He and his family, I got to know him quite well, and he's going to be a, a great addition to our church as he uh, cares for and reaches the campus, reaches ASU. So they must have left. Now here they come. So let's welcome them, Eric. Yay, you're it. Good evening, everyone. Glad that you're here. Thanks for coming. Congratulations, Eric, Danny. Thrilled to have you all. You, this was your last chance, and you came back in. Good job. Uh, we have 
a, a number of significant things uh, happening tonight. Uh, two of them will take up the bulk of our time. Um, I have the privilege of introducing uh, Roger and Jennifer Wood. So let me just briefly explain a little bit of the background behind this, and then uh, they will come and share with us. And um, I will cry before you do, Jennifer. How about that? No? All right. Um, when um, I arrived at Church on Mill, my family came six years ago this June, and uh, Roger was the director of worship ministries at that time and had been for quite a while at that point. Yeah. And um, Roger's, Roger and Jennifer have been a part of the Churchill Mill family for um, a long time. His dad, uh, Dennis, was my predecessor here at Churchill Mill, was pastor for almost 20 years. Sandy, uh, his wife, is here. Welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, Roger and I pretty quickly became uh, very good friends, and uh, Roger was in full-time practice as an attorney, and then in addition to that was a part-time leader of the worship ministry here, and really was the face in many ways of Church on Mill during a long season of transition. Uh, very gifted man. A couple years into um, the time that Jill and I were here, uh, Roger began to appear tired, and that's certainly understandable given the amount of demands that were on him. We took a suggestion to the existing leadership team and personnel team to give uh, Roger a sabbatical to try and catch his breath physically, spiritually, emotionally, and uh, then come back. And as he'll tell you more details about this, but many of you were not here at that time. Just out of curiosity, uh, how many of you were not here at that point? So this was April of 2011. Yeah, so quite a few, at least a third of the room. Um, so Roger, during that um, sabbatical time, uh, made a decision that he'll tell you about, but it uh, put the church in a situation where we had to uh, end Roger's uh, employment with the church because of a disqualification issue. We brought that to the church, read Galatians 6 together, and encouraged you to pursue him as a brother in Christ. And uh, you will get to hear tonight the fruit of your labors. So Roger and Jennifer, would you come? And everyone, would you welcome them? Let me pray for you before you share. Yes. Father, thank you for Roger and Jennifer. Thank you for their courage to come and share. Lord, we all will benefit from what they share. So we pray you'd give them uh, courage, boldness, transparency. Help them to know they're among brothers and sisters and that uh, they can feel your love for them even as we learn from them. In Jesus' name I pray. Teacher friends laughing. Okay. Um, we took a vote. I have to go first. Um, so Chuck asked us to share when we got to the point of being ready to share and kind of gave us some guiding questions. And while Roger wrote his into a nicer narrative, the English teacher right here um, didn't manage to do that. So deal. Okay. So part of his questioning was, uh, what is your spiritual and church background? Um, I became a Christian when I was five, I'm moving this, and I was baptized when I was 11. I attended Grace Community Church from the time I was born until I graduated from high school. 
I was very active until I went away to college. Um, while at U of A, I was active in Bible study through the BSU, which is the Baptist Student Union, which is now Christian Challenge, which has been everything. Okay. Um, and we were also very active in our church in Tucson. Uh, Roger and I served together in BSU leadership. And then we came back in 1994, and we were extremely active here at Church on Mill. We've served children, youth. We led a Sunday school class. We led Bible studies. And then Roger served as interim, as Chuck said, worship leader for seven years. Um, my faith, Bible study, <laughs> and church life uh, were at the center of all of my life choices and were obviously a great part of my identity. Um, I would have only married a Christian and I'm throwing Kleenex on the floor. And God brought Roger into my life when I was 17. Um, so at the point of our separation, which is what he will lead up to, um, we had been together 21 years to the day from when we had first kissed. Um, I didn't know anything was wrong until just a few weeks before when he sat me down and told me he didn't want to be married anymore. Um, at first, his reasoning overwhelmed me, but then I started thinking about what he said, and I knew he was right about a number of things. I had expected too much of him to be my husband, to fill the role of the father I hadn't had, and to generally just make me happy. I had essentially elevated him to the role of saving me. Uh, anger had become my default emotion and my reaction to almost everything. I lived a life full of a lot of negativity. Um, others, such as our friends, our sons, uh, church people, got the best of me, and he got the worst. I had issues with my sexuality due to experiences in my early teenage years that would now be defined as sexual abuse by a guy years older than me. This led to a definite lack of a sexual relationship within our marriage. Um, it's also something I never told anyone about, especially Roger, uh, due to my shame. Um, so Chuck asked us to share why we were back together, what made it possible. Um, so here's my part of that. First, I was not going to give up in our marriage. I lived in a broken family, and I didn't want that for my boys. Um, early on, I met with Chuck shortly after Roger left, and he said, it's not over until one of you remarries. And I knew that I had a lot of work to do on myself and a lot that I needed to allow God to change and grow in me. But while working on those things, I never stopped telling Roger via email, et cetera, that I loved him and that I missed him. He is absolutely my best friend, and it was devastating to be without him. Second thing that got us back was a lot of prayer. Um, quite quickly in this process while praying, I know God told me that Roger and I would be back together. Uh, that assurance led to more prayer, prayer for healing for our family, prayer for change in my life, prayer for Roger's mental health. Uh, Sandy is here tonight, and uh, DeJesus told me that early on she had a dream of Roger back here singing at Church on Mill. Um, that was one of the things that gave me hope. Um, but people here and all over the world were praying on our behalf, and I have no doubt that key was prayer to our restoration. Third, we both started seeing a Christian counselor. Uh, I started seeing her after Roger moved out, but I knew he would also like her and trust her, so he began to see her as well. We didn't see her together for the first 18 months because we weren't ready, but she was eventually the push that moved Roger back home. Uh, she was blunt and truthful while still being compassionate and honest. That outside third party, while being someone who clearly cared about both of us and our kids, was able to speak truth in an important way.
The same thing being said by any of our friends or others that were too close to that situation would never have worked. But due to the way the things happened, we needed that outsider that Roger could trust and who cared from him separately from the whole. Uh, through this experience, how my knowledge and trust of Jesus changed through this trial, uh, I learned that the fruit of the Spirit comes as a result of salvation and is vital to relationships, and that only by living through the power of Christ will I see the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I needed Christ to make a change in me. I had a lot of head knowledge that had never moved to my heart. At the beginning, all I could do was walk around telling myself that Christ had given me peace endlessly every single day. As waves of anxiety and nausea washed over me, I kept repeating John 14, which we got into today, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I had to remind myself that what I have in Christ is nothing like anything I can get from the world and that Christ did not want me to be afraid or my heart to be troubled. Trusting in Christ became absolutely vital. For the first time in my life, I literally had to trust Christ for the day-to-day. -day. I had honestly never had the absolute need for that before. Through that need, however, I managed to see Christ move in ways I could never have imagined. Due to a lifelong Christian friend, Julie, the boys and I never lacked for a place to live. Her ownership of a property management company gave us the opportunity to rent homes that I would not have been given otherwise because I didn't have a, a job at the time of our first move. Um, all right, I gotta hold this up, sorry. In my need to go back to work after 14 years at home, God opened doors at the school our boys have attended since kindergarten. It's a K-12 school, one will graduate. Next week, okay, sorry, just a plug there, okay. Um, I subbed almost every day for that first year, and at the end of the year, I was hired to teach middle school English, where I had long-term sub for a quarter and fallen absolutely in love with middle schoolers, which I know just attributes to the crazy. Yes, okay, thank you. Um, all right, uh, this is a school that God brought us to when Bennett was four years old. Uh, it's been a huge part of our lives and has always felt like home to us. I sat in an interview during a planned period while I was long-term subbing for PE, which if you know me at all, is comical in and of itself right there. And I was gross and I was sweaty, but I sat in this interview with four Christian women who love and care about my children and my family. And it was nothing more than Christ that led us to Horizon back in 2002. In my job, I have been surrounded by Christ's love through some pretty amazing people. Christ has provided me with the other half of my teaching brain and a young Christian woman named Jessica, who's sitting here, who walked into my life in the middle of this mess and has embraced my entire family. When you have no other choice but to trust in Jesus, you learn so much. It didn't necessarily make it easy for me to do, but I learned that Jesus is in control and knows exactly what I need and when I need it. He wants me to call on him to meet my needs and to give me his peace, even when I don't like waiting for his timing. I began to experience the absolute presence of Christ in a more real way than I ever had before. Uh, members of Church on Mill walked this journey right alongside us. We had people praying in our house with us the night this all began. That morning at church, Sandy DeJesus had walked up to me and asked me how Roger was doing because it was his first Sunday of the sabbatical. 
As soon as I learned Roger had left, I called her, and she was with me for the rest of the day. In the first weeks, we spent our evenings with church friends, marveling that God had miraculously freed all of us from commitments those nights. That is not me. Okay. People, <laughs> people fed us, checked on us, cried with us, helped me out with the boys, accompanied me to see the doctor for my anxiety, went with me to see a lawyer I didn't want to see, and prayed with us for the reconciliation of our marriage. Andrea Heaton and Bill Heaton are the only reason I was able to pack and move the first time since I was barely able to get through a day of subbing and taking care of the boys. The entire Heaton family walked right alongside all four of us the whole way and has never stopped. Sam Goff spent countless Thursday nights at my house with my boys so I could go to Bible study and have a place to get out. Um, John Hernandez and Sandy DeJesus assembled and disassembled bunk beds three different times in the moves and learned to label all the parts, and we learned the lab to labels on till the next move. Uh, Kent Hardy drove the moving truck, and countless other Church on Mill members helped us move every time. Joni Ward organized my pantry multiple times, and Christian friends from school helped me rearrange to store the things that wouldn't fit where we were moving. Church on Mill is the only church our boys have ever known, and it's our family. There was no other place to go. Once Roger began to go to church again, I was willing to consider going somewhere else, but I knew that Roger had to make peace with Church on Mill in order to move forward in his own walk with Christ. We ended up staying. In the last year, we've joined a gospel community. This group and its members have grown to mean a great deal to all four of us. It was the place I first heard Roger say anything about God publicly since 2011. This has been a rough year for us since January, but God put us with these people in advance of when we would need that kind of Christian support. Uh, if someone in the room was to say, I'm ready to give up on my spouse, nothing is ever going to change, what would I say? First, be committed. Keep your promise. Despite the current situation, don't give up. For the sake of both of you and any children that are involved, and then start praying hard. Pray for God to show you where your faults lie in the marriage. What ruts have you fallen into in the relationship? What grudges are you carrying? What unrealistic expectations, which we talked about this morning too, um, are you, uh, do you have of your spouse? And most of all, how are you communicating? Are you communicating what's necessary for the business of marriage, but not talking about how you feel or about what's really going on? Not talking about the hard stuff leads to dangerous buildup of frustration that ultimately brings the defeatist idea that nothing will ever change. Bring in a counselor to help you figure out what you've been avoiding and to guide you through the discussions. Also, pray for a renewal of your love for your spouse. There's a reason you got together, things you had in common and a vision of a future together. There was love there. Pray for God to grow that love back in you, to remind you of what you have shared, and to give you physical desire for your spouse. I prayed every day that Roger would just want to be back with me. Pray that as God works on you, he's also bringing those things back to your spouse as well. Uh, as a church family, as we continue to move forward, you can continue to pray for us as we still deal with the fallout of decisions made many years ago. The boys and I have moved three times in the last four years. We love the place we're at now, but the lease is up next February and it may not be renewed. One of my lifelong struggles left over from my own childhood has been with having a home and the instability of a lot of moving. 
I'm already feeling that anxiety creep up despite any decision being months away. Pray for us as we grieve the loss of each of our fathers. There are days we both just want to come home and go to bed, but we still have boys to take care of and work to do. This grief has been much more overwhelming than I would have thought. Also, we are both seeking to find where Roger can serve at church, serving for the right reasons and in the place where God wants him. We are beginning to serve as greeters. We started today. But pray we are responsive to God's call when it comes. Okay, it's your turn. Um, <clears throat> a little bit of history, for those of you who don't know who I am. Um, I was born and thankfully born into a family where my parents were followers of Jesus. For my whole life, my father and my mother worked in pastored churches and cared about people. Our family moved several times following God's call in my dad's life and ours. And in 1988, our family came here to Arizona and to serve right here at this church. I was in church to hear the gospel three or four times a week for my entire childhood. When I was five, I heard God's call in my life and became a follower of Jesus. While I probably couldn't pronounce or spell most sins, I knew I needed a Savior, and I turned from sin and self and turned to follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I knew how much he, very much he loved me. I learned well from my mom and dad about how to share Jesus to others in both words and in actions. I met Jennifer in high school, and together we knew that God wanted us to choose one another and then to share together in his work. We were married in college, and right away, God asked us to serve in many different ways. And after college in Tucson, we returned to Tempe, where I went to law school, and here to Church on Mill. Sometime in the mid-2000s, uh, my dad asked me to fill in as the worship leader here, and I did so from that time until seven years later in 2011. Uh, over the years, my life and our marriage became to be marked by busyness and work. We loved our children, we loved our church family, we loved each other, and we were incredibly effective at all of it. 2008, I became a law partner in a business with almost 60 employees and three other law partners. I was working 50 to 60 hours a week at the firm, 25 to 40 hours a week as a worship leader, pastor, and small group leader, and the rest of the time doing a terrible job as a husband and father. If I was good at anything, it was looking like I could do it all and do it well. There were certainly times when I knew God was working in and through me and our family, but I look now and see that it was only his work rather than my own presentation of my own busyness that saw people's lives changed and God glorified. The Apostle Paul said to the Church of Philippi once, even if taught under pretense, the gospel can still be proclaimed. And God did that despite all of my best efforts to thwart that process. My busyness, pride, frustration, anger, and ultimate burnout meant that it was easy for me to ignore my role as a husband. I avoided talking about all of that busyness that filled our lives with what appeared to be good things, and that was killing my spiritual soul and our marriage relationship. Then it all started to fall apart. The busyness of it all was unsustainable. It began to damage my physical and mental well-being. The more I relied more on self and rarely on God, it was then I began to plan an escape. In my selfish and demented thinking, I knew I had to get away from everything, from Jennifer, my kids, you, the church, friendships, my law practice, and most importantly, God himself. None of it could sustain or satisfy me any longer, and throwing it all away was the only escape route that I could think of. My sinfulness and pride lured me away from my marriage and into a pitiful place of selfishness. I was prideful and believed my sacrifice and work in church life was in and of itself the goal. My faith, while real and tangible at times, seemed to have betrayed me, and I leaned hard into performance-based relationship with Jesus and, with many, and in many ways with all of you. 
I was self-righteous and angry about all you lazy people who didn't do as much as I did for God. And in that anger, I indeed sinned. I believe a lie. I believed a lie that all of the hurt and frustration of my life stemmed from the unhappiness of our marriage and the emptiness wrought by the busyness of activity and activity of our lives. I believed that Jennifer not, had not cared and truly loved me for many years. I resented that she couldn't understand how dire our situation was and in my heart didn't think she could ever help, even if I had better communicated with her. For years, I had not remembered the Sabbath day, and rather than setting it apart as holy, I made it something for myself. It was about getting things done and how well I could serve God on a Sunday morning. Rather than work to meet Jennifer's needs and see my role as a husband and father as one modeled by Jesus Christ himself and the church, I abused that privilege by again valuing how things looked rather than how they were. Ultimately, the most serious sin of all was deciding that leaving Jennifer and leaving the boys was necessary and right when God so clearly sees that action as selfish and sinful. Even after I made that decision to leave, my sinfulness and pride continued to drive the distance I put between myself and all of you. That resulted in further separation from my own family and from my church family. I sinned against many of you by blaming you and the church for it. I lied to many of you in a meeting on March 11th and asking for a sabbatical as my initial means of escape. I squandered resources and possible help from many of you because I blamed you for the situation rather than seeking you out for the help and healing I so desperately needed. I was disrespectful and resisted any and all of church authority and leadership. My defiance to all those men was vicious and without any basis. Even those of you who did reach out to attempt to care for me, I was quick to ignore your care and concern, and I spit back venomous words. For all of that, I can only ask for you to forgive me. In addition to those many sins against my wife, my family, and you as my church family, I was and probably had been for quite some time clinically depressed. Church, please be clear. Depression and other types of mental illness are not a sin. But many things that I did to get to that place of desperation and despair were. That part of that story is dark and sad. Even if I had allowed my wife and many of you to comfort and care for me, I'd still allowed those pressures of life and the great burnout from ministry to drain my body and soul of so much. What was left was a deep and lonely and pervasive sadness. You can certainly understand that many things led to the separation and my role in it was huge. But thanks be to God, the story doesn't end there. We're back together and what made that possible. Um, I think I can sum that up in a few short phrases. Probably the most important of which starts off. The grace of God. Good, consistent Christian counseling for Jennifer and I separately, and then ultimately for us together. The fervent prayer of so many of you and so many others in our lives. Medication. Time. God taking away everything else that I thought really mattered to me so I could see what really mattered the most. Unfortunately, he's still in the process of that. So. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, and lastly, my beautiful wife who never gave up on me, not even one time. How did what I learned through all this change about what I believed about who Jesus was and who Jesus is in my life? It happened in many different ways. And in the middle of the mess, I can tell you, I didn't think God would ever want to talk to me again. He seemed silent and distant. But looking back, I see so many ways in which God had increased my knowledge and trust in Jesus all the way along. I see that he used people to challenge me and encourage me. I've been slow to warm back up to scripture in the last year of coming back. That part has been difficult. Reading God's word can become and did become for me rote and kind of mechanical. 
Bible study was about next Sunday's lesson, and it stopped being about a love for God's word above all else. But finally, I think I'm turning a bit of a corner on that front. In starting our study of John's gospel in our Sunday morning time, um, I started reading where my dad encouraged me to begin my own first Bible study when I was a kid, John chapter 1. A few weeks ago, a few key words in John 1 hit me like a ton of bricks. That God's purposes and aim in receiving glory for this amazing struggle and the ultimate restoration in our lives is born out of his fullness and his repeated and sufficient grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. I could speak to you for hours about those incidences of his fullness and grace through some very, very dark times. But now I see that the challenges ahead, while many, can only be viewed in light of that same grace and mercy and love. As I said a little earlier, I worked really hard to separate myself from almost everything for a period of time. I was trying to get away from marriage, from work, from church, from family, but God didn't let go, not once. I was his child, and he never loosened his firm grip. I kind of see it less like a grip and more like a mother of some kind of animal that uses her teeth to gently pick up her child by the nape of his neck and direct him where he should go. I bound off in a wrong direction, never too far from God's loving reach, and he would be right there to grab me lovingly, but oftentimes painfully, by the scruff of that neck. He used folks like you. Uh, and when I didn't allow you, some other unlikely characters to show me that grace upon grace. While Jennifer's story talked a lot about how all of you cared for her, God put very important people in my life outside of this family to bring me back into his love and care. Um, some of those people are here tonight, and those of you who are here, you don't have to stay for the bylaw discussion. You can leave <laughs> when this part's over. But a lot of those people are here, and that grace and ungrace they showed me in those really critical times were people like my mom and my dad. Bill and Andrea Heaton, our counselor Midge, Joni Ward, everybody at a place in Oklahoma called the Ministries of Jesus. I'll tell you about it if you want to ask me. The entire Newkirk family, and yes, those are some characters, all right. Um, <laughs> Don and Tommy Tuttleton, a dad from my kid's school, and a now a dear friend named Robert, a longtime friend named Jerry, my friend Lee Haley, Carl Nyquist, my now former law partner, himself a follower of Jesus, who cared so much about me even when he had to sever our business relationship and make really hard choices. A former employee and a pastor friend who invited me to worship and prayed over me many months before Jennifer and I were back together when I didn't feel much like being prayed for. A convicted sex offender named Phil. A man from whom I picked up my mail every day for the, for the law firm. Pat Thornton. Matt Ward for calling and talking to my voicemail for once a week for months and months and months even though I wouldn't pick up his phone call. Um, two people that I barely knew who cared enough for my wife and kids to help us with a move. My wife's co-teacher, Jessica, who stepped in and cared about both Jennifer and cared about my two boys. If you mess with my boys, you have to mess with Jess. <laughs> and a critically timed hug and assurance of forgiveness by Carol Baldwin the day I walked back into Church on Mill on Easter Sunday, 2014. Some of those people are here tonight. Some of them, some of them aren't and we miss them. And thank you to all of them. And church, thank you for being there in unique ways when I chose to shun your help and shun your care and concern for me. Even though I didn't let many of you help by showing those evidences of his great grace, his grace is not confined to this body, and so God used a greater group of people to show me that love and grace and mercy every day, whether I wanted to see it or not. As far as our commitment to Church on Mill, 
Returning to my church family has been a very difficult process for me. Even after Jennifer and I ended our separation in uh, October of 2013, um, even once our healing and renewal began together, I still needed time away from Church on Mill and church altogether. Um, It took me many months of being here on a Sunday morning before I could ever sing. Sometimes I didn't pay attention to Chuck, and I did work quietly or other things while he was bringing God's word. Sorry. (laughs) Today, I'm glad we're here. I'm first and foremost committed to this body because all of you made a commitment to my wife and to my children. Mm. Thank you. Thank Mm. you. Mm. Thank you. Looking back, I have many of you to thank for your care and concern for me. And there were those unlikely characters, but so many of you right here consistently prayed for us and loved us and cared about my wife and kids in so many ways. So here we are. We're involved in our gospel community, and some of those people I knew before and some of them I didn't, and I love those people very much. And I'm thankful they saw fit to return that grace, love, and mercy. And we're here every Sunday now as the body gathers as well. So the question that Jenny answered of what happens if you want to give up on your marriage, um, don't give up. Get help. Pray. Get wise counsel. Find other brothers and sisters in Christ on whom you can depend. Don't be ashamed about marriage being difficult because it is. Never be afraid to ask for help. Never be afraid to admit your struggles and communicate with your spouse and others who will support you. And know that we serve a God who is immeasurably patient and loving. We serve a God who always redeems. We serve a God who is far and away bigger than any impediment or situation that seems to stand between a husband and a wife. So how can Church on Mill support us now? Well, we covet your prayers for our marriage and our family. There are some challenging issues for us in the future, as there are probably for all of you. Our prayer, however, isn't for the removal of those obstacles, but that we rely all the more on God's immeasurable grace and mercy and love. In addition to the getting back together part, the last few months have been a difficult season of our lives. We're both dealing with the loss of our fathers. In addition, my law practice is a great joy for me, but equal amounts of frustration. God's given me a great opportunity in my business to help my clients um, and to employ a really great group of people that I love to work with every day. But I often find myself battle-worn by angry people with spiritual problems that the law can never solve. While the ultimate answer to their discontent is Jesus, this problem has put me at odds with some former clients and the state bar. I, don't want to, I want to continue doing work for my clients as if I was working for the Lord, but I'm often hit hard with repeated roadblocks and attacks. Rapid growth, staffing issues, death itself, and more have challenged my business. But yet God has never let us go hungry, not one day. Mm-hmm. All of this can be a problem for my mental health. So if you pray and and support us some way, know that I'm thankful for good medicine and good counseling, and I'm in such a better place than I was a few years ago. But some of those mental health concerns may be something that I have to live with for a long time. Um, Pray that I'm able to quickly recognize the warning signs when today's troubles challenge me with dark thoughts and overwhelming feelings. Pray Jennifer and I can together recognize those things and react before my heart and my mind are overrun. Finally, Pray as you, together with us, as we find a place to serve and care for all of you here at the Church on Mill Body in different ways. We started off helping with greeting on Sunday mornings, and that's exciting. And pray that we can find other ways to serve. And pray we do so, so that God would get all the glory, and that his fullness and grace upon grace would be evident to everybody that we encounter. Thank you.
to be a more pleasure for you guys. Thank you. I'm going to pray for you. Oh, you can't run away. Sorry. I didn't hear you. Scripture says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You've done that. And we praise God for that. Amen? Amen. And church, um, in April of 2011, we read these words together. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You've done that. And by God's grace, we've seen the scripture fulfilled tonight. Praise God for that, right? So thank you for being the kind of church that not only does what's right, but does it in the right way. Does it in a spirit of gentleness. And you, you heard that over and over and over in what... Roger and Jennifer shared that there was gentleness in the way you approached them, and I'm honored and privileged to have watched that process. Thank you. I wonder if we could take a moment and pray for them. And what they've just done is a very vulnerable thing. So I wonder if we could tangibly show them that we're committed to them. If, if you have heard this, and as Scripture also says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. If you will do that, if you will pray that God's work of healing in Roger and Jennifer's life would continue, would you stand as a way of demonstrating that? And perhaps a few of you would like to gather around Roger and Jennifer as I voice a prayer for them. Father, there's not one among us who has not fallen short of your standard. All of us deserve your wrath and your justice, and yet you and your grace and mercy have brought us together tonight. And Lord, as Roger and Jennifer shared, we're acutely aware of our own struggles with sin and obedience. And we would pray, Father, for the kind of faith that they have demonstrated tonight kind of confidence and trust in you and in what you say. And Lord, we praise you that what Galatians 6 says we have been able to see. Thank you that you are restoring this marriage. Thank you that you are restoring this couple into even fuller relationship with you and each other. Thank you that these two boys know their father. They wake up to see him. Thank you, God, that we have seen your power and your grace tonight. Lord, ultimately, the church is a collection of broken people who are trophies of your grace. We pray that we would remember tonight deeply for the rest of our lives as a clear evidence of the fact that you're real, that you're powerful, and that as we are broken, there's nothing you can't put back together even better than it was in the first place. So we praise you for Jesus who's alive and well and who's so present here tonight. And we pray, Father, that we would be faithful to love Roger and Jennifer and Burke and Bennett well, to encourage them, 
to not expect perfection, but to walk alongside them and help them to live in accordance with what they've shared tonight. Thank you for their willingness and their courage to model confession of sin. And Father, by us standing, we're demonstrating. We receive them, we forgive them, and we embrace them as our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we pray all of this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, uh, Roger and Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs>